everybody and welcome to episode number 108 of the Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike. I'm Mike and with me as always is Hannah. How are you this evening? I am well, thank you. Capital. So uh, we are talking about the episode uh, A Life Earned. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannah, please tell us who is behind this episode. Right, so the synopsis is very brief. It says Coulson and the team discover their captors' true intentions. Okay. Uh, directed by Stanley M. Brooks and written by Drew Greenberg. Ah, yes, a uh, Buffy alumni. Indeed. And um, when did this air? The 15th of December 2017. Excellent. Okay, so we are uh, four episodes into this um, sci-fi space opera arc, so uh, we're sort of... uh, we're getting deep into the trenches now, so I'm looking forward to this one. Indeed. Just a couple of quick bits of housekeeping before we move on to the main event. Um, first and foremost, you can email us at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave comments for us on our YouTube channel if that's how you consume, if that's how you choose to live your lives. Um, and you can also you know, like and subscribe and share and do all of those wonderful things as well. And we also appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And please do check out our French shows, namely Chinstroker vs. Punter, his film Her Movie, Film Bastards, Entertainment Landfill, um, The Good, The Bad and The Odd, um, and The Iron Sequel. And uh, you can also follow us on social media, namely Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Rewatch Proj. That's Rewatch P-R-O-J. So Hannah, do we have any comments or feedback today? We do. Um, so... Oh. I thought we had a comment on our X-Files pilot episode. Okay. Um, but the comment just says, promise them. Classic YouTube feedback. Classic comment. We yeah. do have an email, though, so I'm going to read that. Okay, please do. Uh, this is called Versus. Hey, guys. Dennis from Brisbane here. Mm. Really enjoyed your recent Sorbet episodes, especially the Dr. Horrible one. Oh, really happy you are tucking into Series 5 of S.H.I.E.L.D. and looking forward to the rewatch. I also really like the 90s sci-fi talk. I agree that that was the glory days in, that, in the sense that there was a real explosion of geek TV centred around Star Trek and the X-Files, but there was a lot less snark around it. I put this down to several things. Uh, one, volume of content. There was simply less stuff. So we were more appreciative and less entitled slash savage about what we did get. Two, no social media. This is a funny one as people tend to use this as a catch-all explanation for why so much of fandom is douchey these days. But people forget there were message boards, fan networks, conventions, magazine letter pages, fanzines. Can I stop you right there? That is so true because there is this, oh, everybody always, always liked this, you just never knew it. I always knew what the vibe was. I always knew whether people were liking shows or not. You had to go out of your way more, and there was more of a delay. But I I always knew which episodes of the TV shows in the early 90s people liked and didn't. That is not a new thing. Yeah, he goes on to say, we were just, well, less douchey about it. But yes, social media hasn't helped, to be fair. Three, this is, I think, the big one. The explosion of geek culture into the mainstream. 
As Mike would say with his musical analogies, it's like when your favourite small local band gets big. You have to share them with a bunch of tourists. <laughs> Around the time of Twilight, we saw a huge mainstreaming of geek culture. It really started, I guess, with the Harry Potter books and Lord of the Rings films, and then spread to Twilight, Hunger Games, the rise of cosplay, etc. I'm not knocking those franchises or being elitist, though. It was great to see particularly female fans join the party. People forget that women really drove Star Trek fandom in the early days. All the early conventions in the 70s were run by women. But what we have seen is that geek culture has become what I call an amateur night. You know how it is. You go out on New Year's Eve and all the amateurs are out who don't usually drink, (laughs) spewing, fighting and generally ruining it for everyone else. I think there is a bit of that going on here. People who are into cult films and TV, etc., as one of their many micro-hobbies. They are often the minority of toxic voices we hear and should ignore. Um, and then he's got a versus. Oh, okay, us. cool. Um, just before I get onto that, is there anything you want to say about Yeah, God, loads. I mean, I, I agree with that completely. I think that the... I mean, first of all, fandom... Because fandom basically started with Star Trek. Mm. You know, the first conventions were Star Trek conventions. The first Save a Show campaign was Star Trek. And it was female fans. All of those early conventions, like New York, 1972, and I think Chicago in 73 and 74, they were all run by female fans. So this idea that fandom is this male thing is simply incorrect. Mm. Um, and I think he's right that, about the whole amateur hour thing. And that's not to say, I don't like getting into this, what makes a real fan of something. But it's true, um, in the 90s and before... Um, it was a lot harder to be a fan. The stigma of being a geek was really su- was quite severe, mm. you know. Whereas now, it's almost like saying you're a geek is like saying you're a goth or a skater or it's a bit geek chic. It, well, it's it's basically just you. It's just a tribe, yeah. You know, and uh, it's just that's your thing. And because of things like you know, like Big Bang Theory and all this, all of they kind of the, the stigma has been removed. So what that means is is that you've got a lot of people who just watch it and dispose of it um i think that's all completely correct and and it's right that you know social media hasn't helped um but also you know that point about there being less of it you know you were appreciative whereas now there's so much content that uh you know the fact that we use the word content that it's really easy to just dismiss something Mm. and go well that's crap yeah you know uh, and I think that's absolutely right. And I think that, you know, when you talk... I mean, we watched that Making of Obi-Wan Kenobi um, documentary last night. And when you see the conventions, that's not all the people that you hear on the internet. It's people who are really positive and yeah. into it. <clears throat> and ultimately, they're the only ones who matter because they're the ones who vote with their wallets. Mm. Whereas just some dude on the internet just barking... Who cares? I think it says a lot about the type of person you are, I think, as well. Like, whether you go on to moan about something or go on to rave about something. How do you use your energy? Yeah. Because there's lots of things that I don't particularly like or want to watch or rate that highly, but I would never take my time out to talk about them. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, people ultimately want attention. Mm. And... Some people feel, and not altogether incorrectly, that one way to get an attention is by being negative. You know, yeah. and that's what that's, that's what it is. You know, 
Um, thank you for that. That was awesome. Um, right, so you ready for the verses? Okay, go for it. Goonies versus Monster Squad. Monster Squad. Sex Pistols versus The Clash. Sex Pistols. Hunger Game or Twilight? Twilight. Simpsons or South Park? Simpsons. Bon Jovi, Brian Adams. Oh, I'd have to go Bon Jovi. Rihanna or Beyonce? Rihanna. War Games or Hackers? War Games. Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction. Goodfellas or Godfather? Godfather. Super 8, Stranger Things? Super 8. Madonna or Cindy Lauper? Madonna. Batman or Superman? Superman. Uh, Starsky and Hutch or Miami Vice? Oh, that's tricky. Miami Vice just... Uh, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Oh. Lord of the Rings. Cool. I enjoyed that. Oh, okay, sorry. There was nothing in your voice to indicate that that was the final one. Um, right, I'll do on you. Okay. Goonies versus Monster Squad. Uh, Monster Squad. Six Pistols versus The Clash. The Clash. Hunger Games versus Twilight. Hunger Games. Simpsons versus South Park. Simpsons. Bon Jovi versus Brian Adams. Brian Adams. Rihanna versus Beyonce. Mm, Rihanna. War Games versus Hackers. Hackers. Reservoir Dogs versus Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Goodfellas versus Godfather. Godfather. Super 8 versus Stranger Things. Super 8. Madonna versus Cindy Lauper. Madonna. Batman versus Superman. Batman. But you prefer Batman to Superman? Yeah. Hmm. That really surprises me. Starsky and Hutch versus Miami Vice. Uh, well, I've never watched either of them, but I have seen a little bit of Miami Vice, so I'll go Miami Vice. Harry Potter versus Lord of the Rings. That is like Sophie's choice for me, um, but I've got to say it's got to be Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the reason I went for Lord of the Rings is that I still feel like there's a lot of that universe left for me to uncover. Yeah. Whereas Harry Potter I love, but I feel like I've kind of got everything out of it. I'm going to get out of it. There's a future in Lord of the for, Rings. For me, um, Lord of the Rings, like I think about it in terms of um, if if a Harry Potter film was on the... Oh, you're talking about the film specifically? Well, just I'm talking about if I was to encounter both things, if a Harry Potter film was on the TV, I'd have to... I wouldn't necessarily have to watch the whole thing yeah like it would depend on the mood i was in whereas if it's lord of the rings i'd have to watch it yeah so that that's a good way of deciding yeah. it actually mm. uh cool thanks like this got good value out of that one yeah i like that uh, that's some good stuff uh so yeah rewatch project podcast at gmail.com please join the conversation but for now we're going to press pause we are going to watch a life god my eyes says terrible a life earned um the fourth episode of season five of Marvel's Edges of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then we will come back and we will discuss so speak to you in a moment Good afternoon good morning good evening and welcome to Film Bastards a podcast where three friends two of them married and two of them podcasting life partners chat everything from new releases trailers news and an eclectic mix of other film goodies oh and many 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 tangents you can find them by searching your podcast provider or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards you never know you might like it and if you don't well we don't really give a f- 
And we're back, so we've just finished watching A Life Earned, the fourth episode of season five of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hannah, thoughts? What's happened to Bay? That's bad as a thought. No, nothing can I. <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved it. It's just, I, I feel like I'm just saying the same thing every time, but... Um, well, no, as long as you explain why you loved it, then we'll uh, <laughs> be fine. The... the, the the story just keeps ramping up every episode. They keep intriguing you with more, and yeah. you just like I just ah oh God, come on! Um, <laughs> I just want to. It sounds bad to say I want to get through it, but it's because I'm loving it. Like I equally want to get through it and also prolong it. It's like me eating a calzone. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. uh, it's a one way ticket to indigestion, but it's going to be a fun trip getting there. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I just think the performances are great. The writing is awesome. Um, I love that the the lighthouse is becoming more nuanced in terms of what happens there. Like, obviously, it's it's a hellhole, but um, you know, there's moments of light in terms of the, you know the the baby what did you think um i really liked it um it's funny actually i'm noticing um some kind of and i think again this is the age of the people who make these shows kind of similar to mine but one of the i've spoke about you know obviously like you know blade runner and all these sort of influences that it's got but one very specific genre and one very specific sub-genre of it is there are elements of the prison movie, but there's also very specifically elements of the 90s, well, the, the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s sci-fi prison movie. So I'm thinking of things like um, No Escape, Fortress, Escape from New York, again, the Sinti score. There is a long tradition of sci-fi prison movies yeah and i think part of that is has always been a budgetary thing in the way that you know one of the great thing about prison movies is that they're one location mm. um and you know when you're making science fiction it's it's very difficult to you know do that on any kind of budget so there's a lot of that going on as well you know the idea of um the drama that comes from just being trapped but like the first three episodes and and this gets exponentially less the more it goes on. The first the first episode for sure and the second episode um nearly as much. Um you have that sense that they basically can't even fart without one of the Cree knowing about it. Yeah. Um whereas in the last episode and this one, you kinda get the feeling that that they're finding their way around in a way that they can Maneuver secretively. Well, the first two episodes are called orientation, mm. and I think that that's not an accident. Is what you're talking about here is they're starting because they're smart people whose job it is to immerse themselves and infiltrate. They're learning how to navigate mm. the world um, and how it works. Because in the first two episodes, they don't even understand things as simple as the terminology. Yeah, you know that that, that they're so. You know, obviously, you know, once they start to once the playing field starts to even out a little bit more for them, you'll get you'll get that. And and also, it's interesting that what you're starting to see is 
a sense of some of the thematic points of interest of the season. And I think that one of the things that we're seeing here, again, is a little bit of a carryover from the last season with some of the themes of what makes you, you. You know, what what when you make your decisions, like, for example, with Deke, um, he's very much um, a product of his environment, mm. um, but also a product of his experience. You know, the fact that he is so cautious is because of all of the shit that's happened. Mm. And you see, again, you're seeing a little bit of that with Mac. Mac saying, you know, we don't want to go native, you know, yeah. and we want to be careful of that. So I think that one of the things that things that gets covered a lot in sci-fi, Star Trek does this a lot, particularly Deep Space Nine, is the idea of, is morality a luxury? Mm. You know, it's very easy to be like, you know, super woke when you are, you know, or super charitable or moralistic when you've got a good life. Yeah. It's how you respond when things turn to shit that are... Because, uh, uh, I mean, again, like Star Trek as an example, the Federation's got it so sweet that it's very easy for them to um, do the right thing. Yet when, you know, you saw that two-parter where they had the, um, I can't remember what you called, the Sanctuary District, and you've got Bashir saying to Cisco, you know what, we think we're all that, but when it comes down to it and our back's against the wall, all of our bad impulses mm. start to come back. Uh, and I think that they're talking about a little bit about that in this season as well. Well, it's that whole grey area bad guy. Like, um, you have your inherently evil in Cassius. Yeah. But, um, you know, there are people who are doing bad things for what they think is a good reason. Yeah, or for survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and we spoke before about how when you've got children, like, you know, with the idea of collaboration, like when we talked about V and when we talked about, um, you know, people in the framework, um, you know, this idea of um, how brave you can be is completely proportionate to how much you've got to lose. Yeah. If it's just you, then you're just like, yeah, well, I'll take my chances. It's like, you know, you, and I think we've said this before, I don't know if it's on the podcast, but you, you drive that a little bit more carefully when you've got your kids in the car. Yeah. You know, and you just to extend that to metaphor, you know, uh, it's like that. It's like, you know, it's very easy for you to, um, you know, put your life at risk when it's only you. Mm. And so I think that one of the things that, one of the themes, uh, or one of the groupings of themes that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has always been interested in has been this idea of, from both perspectives of, um, you know, don't judge people until they've had a chance to walk in their shoes. But also, when you're walking in somebody's shoes, what does that tell you? What does that tell you about uh, why we do the things that we do and why we are the way that we are? You know, um, and basically, what you're talking about there is character explore- exploration. You know, yeah. and I think that what's good about this season is that they're recontextualizing the characters. They're putting them in a situation where they don't have any of their um, support mechanisms mm. um, and let, how are they, they going to cope? They can't rely on the usual bag of tricks to get out of things. Yeah, there's nowhere to go. There's no Zephyr. There's yeah. no shield. Yeah. There's, well, there's, there's no, no little weird no white room that looks like, you know, the game show Blockbusters. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, there's none of that. Um, well, should we get into the um, into yeah. the play by play? So we open up on Cassius talking to Daisy, the recently captured Daisy, and we see that he's taking her blood. Um, he talks about the prophecy of that he'd heard about of you know these agents of Shield from the past coming to the present. Uh, I like the fact as well that Daisy just sasses him. Like everybody else, even our heroes have been very kind of intimidated by him. Mm. But I just like the fact that Daisy's just like, nah, I'm not putting up with any she of this bullshit. give a shit. Yeah, she's like, well, if you're going to kill me, whatever, but I'm not going to fucking, you know, yeah. cow down. Um, and he talks... Plus, to- I think, uh, you know, she always has that thing at the back of her head that she knows how powerful she is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's got yeah. that in her back pocket. Yeah. Um, and they talk about, he talks about essentially how he's going to... Um, sell her and this is the first indication he says he wants to leave this horrendous place so what you get the feeling of is that um he's he's working on his um his exit plan yeah his exit plan his exit strategy uh we see um grills working the team really hard like triple shifts and all this sort of stuff Mm. uh he asks mac to go and rough a guy up like it made me think of um in the first Rocky movie, you know, when he's work, working for that loan shark. Oh, yeah. And he sends him out. and he, and he But he gets fired because he's just not roughing them up he's, enough. Yeah. He's just like, come on, mate, you know. He's not that good at um, it. Just he's, pay him up. He's too soft. Yeah. We see Daisy in the training room with the, the Inhumans. Um, and we learn about level, the mysterious level 35, the um, forbidden room of mystery that you know, mm-hmm. every show has to have one. And with the, they're talking about how there's going to be a demonstration of Quake's powers at, uh, at one point. But she's got an inhibitor on as well, so they can sort of switch her on and off as well. They're very good yeah. like that. I like the fact that, that Cassius, is, he's really petty as well. Like, he's really kind of like... Like the, like the woman uh, character, how he kind of like sasses her a little bit and, you know, turns the tables on her. Uh, and he's ju- he's just very infantile. Oh, the whole like, oh well. Now who's? If you don't, well, we're going to do the thing over dinner, yeah, so yeah. you can just fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You little yeah. shit from a whore. Uh, so, um, so he talks to Deke and asks uh, about the others from the past as well. And De- Deke says, you know, I'll, I'll find out for you. Uh, Main Coulson speaks to Deke as well, and he just bullshits them and basically talks about how he saw. Daisy earlier on and all this kind of stuff and they ask him about level 35 and um, and then they play the um, is that when they play the recording to him or is that later I thought they played the recording to him in the last episode didn't they no oh okay um, well they talked to him about the people on the surface during the yeah. scene basically no this is when yeah. they um, yeah um, this is also where Mac and Yo-Yo talk about morals and the idea of not losing themselves in this world, you know, just because they don't have their comfy beds, you know. Um, and and basically what I like as well is that she kind of has a bit of a go at Mac for being naive. She's just like, look, you grew up in the suburbs. I grew up mm. on the street. Um, this guy is not paying his way. Um, he knows the risks. He needs to get a fucking kicking, mm. basically. And Max, and, and she's right, mm. you know. And the guy, I mean, although, you know, it's the baby and we feel sorry for him, he is a bit of a tit about it, the way he goes about it and handles it. Like, he, he says to Mac, oh, you'd be a crap dad. It's like, well, no, you're a crap dad, mate, because you're not playing the game. You're not paying up. Mm. You knew they were going to come for you. Then you get all arsy and aggressive with the guy whose job it is to beat you up. So, you know, you're just stupid. I know, I know we're meant to feel sympathetic for this guy, but I wasn't at all because I just thought, no, you're just being a dumbass. 
about well, I this. I feel sympathetic towards Mac. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, and that's I probably really the way. Feel anything yeah. Towards the other guy. Um, so we see the mind mind reader guy um, who they bring in to um, they get him to read Daisy. Don't you think he looks a wee bit like the guy that plays Q in the Bond films? Well, in Wishaw. Wishaw. Um, Got a touch of yeah, I can actually. Words. I was I was going to be facetious then and say not at all, but then I thought no, actually now you mention it, he looks like a slightly squashed version of him. Yeah, if he grew his hair a bit more, yeah, went a bit more Justin Bieber yeah. on his on his do. Yeah, yeah, you um, look a bit more like him. But um, but we see, and this is quite a nicely played scene because one of the reasons why I say that this is very much like a prison story, not just because of the obvious you know incarceration sort of element to it, but there's a lot of one of the primary dramatic techniques you can sort of milk out of um, prison films is tension. Mm. And I think that they do that really, they've been doing that really well in these episodes is that they're very tense. You know, like in the scene where they've got Gemma and Daisy and they're having to bullshit their way through it is very, you know, inglorious bastards. I love kind that of, scene. Uh, you know, it's very well played. And of course we learn afterwards that the... Um, the guy's not only reading minds, he's doing a little bit of the old Inception and scattering the I remember kind of... the first time I watched that just being like, what is this bum whiffery? Yeah, How yeah. did they manage it? Well, I it? just saw, because I didn't remember it at all, watching this time, I thought that they just got lucky or that Gemma just knows Daisy so well. Because mm. there's only so many ways they could bullshit it. Mm. So it was somewhat plausible that she could have just got lucky. But we learn, of course, that... Um, the squished Ben Wishaw um, character. Ben Squishaw. Uh, uh, ben Squishaw, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> you are so happy with yourself. <laughs> there, was, there was victory in that laugh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Very happy with that. <laughs> I can, My job like, is done. Thank you yeah. and good job. <laughs> yeah. uh, would you like to drop this microphone? No, actually, no, it's too expensive. <laughs> yes, I'm going to say the same story. And uh, Deke takes... And then to level 35, um, he told Simmons, uh, that this is where we learned that the guy told Simmons what she said and that, um, you know, didn't know that he could do that. Well, that, that Cassius doesn't know that he can do that and that he has read Cassius and basically he wants to just obliterate the station when he leaves, you know, salt the earth kind of thing. Mm. Um, so what that means is that this kind of conscientious objector guy now has been kind of you know weaponized a little bit because he's like well we 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 can't be having any of that now um so they go to get the guy who owes uh grill and they talk about the package which we learn is a baby uh and this is where he sort of aggravates mac and he's like people like you don't deserve kids um and um and mac goes you do not know anything about my life. Don't you know I'm <laughs> yeah. I have had to say goodbye to my child yeah, twice. Yeah. yeah, how very dare you. How very dare you. Good day, punch, sir. Punch, punch. Um, so we, we learned that Deke was one of the last to be born normally, uh, which is interesting, um, and that it's easier to make uh, babies and in labs uh, and also and to encourage them to have the inhumans gene so they can then be sold off. So, and he thinks that they've 
sterilised everyone through... The food. The food. Uh, May punches Deke when she realises that he's been bullshitting them. Um, I love the fact that the Cree walk in and immediately Coulson throws a chair at one of them and it does nothing. And it's, it's, it's Deke's response of, oh, we're fighting. <laughs> like, he just doesn't quite know how to deal with it. I like the fact that as it happens, May just pushes him back out of the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stand to one side, little yeah, boy. Yeah, out the way, darling. So, Blue Balls and May fight. Mm-hmm. Um, what I noticed was that there's a technique they've used a couple of times this season, and you really see it here. And this was becoming very fashionable in films at the time. There was a film, um, I can't remember what it's called now, sci fi action movie. I, want to, I keep wanting to say Inception, but it's not called Inception. It's with that guy who looks like Tom Hardy. Um, and that used it a lot. John Wick uses it a lot. But you know that technique when somebody gets knocked down, but the camera f- goes with them? Right. So if somebody's standing up like that, yeah. normally if they get knocked down, you just see them go down like that. Yeah. But it's almost like the camera's locked on, so the camera and the person sort of move. Right. It's a it's a technique that was like you still still see it now, but it was about a two or three year period where it was like super popular, and I've noticed that it creeping in to to Agents of Shield. It's, it's really present in the um, Blue Balls and May fight sequence. Yeah. Uh, Dick said that he he basically justifies it, and this is where we kind of start to get his story, where he says. He had to do it to stop more deaths. And this is where he tells his story. And this is a classic Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of, you don't know me until, you know. And, and he talks about how... this is where we learn that the voice that he heard on the recording was his father's. Yes, and, and what they did was, he says, basically what they did was they killed all the smart people, the elder, what you would call elders, you mm. know. Um, and it was his mum who was one of them. Yeah, and then his dad stepped up and then mm. that happened. So you, you can see why that would make Deke think, you know, maybe getting involved isn't such a good idea. Mm. Um, so he begged his dad not to get involved and he did um, and um, he basically gives his money over which they um, then give up to um, you know the, the, to the father but Deke does it as a kind of sign of goodwill to Coulson Coulson is like well look you know that's bought you a bit of time we'll see how you go and Coulson as well is his skill, like all good leaders, a big part of it is being able to judge people. Not judge in an unpleasant sense, but be able to see potential in people. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what the show's about, is him seeing that potential in, in Sky, as she mm. was known in the early season. So I think that he has a good feeling about Deke, you yeah. know. Um, and um, and he has got a bull- good bullshit detector. Yeah. yeah, he has. I mean, you see that earlier on when... Um, Deke's taking him and May and um, you know you think that they're being very trusting and then when they're on their own when Coulson says so do you trust him and May just goes you know me better than that yeah 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 yeah, like you realise that they're far more switched on than you've given but they're just like what's he bullshitting us about and how severe is it you know yeah yeah and I also like as well that this is one of the things I like about this episode is I've said before that that one of the things that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does really well is that they change the status quo of the show and then have it like to say to, to sort of before moving on to the next thing have a look at the type of stories that they can tell within it and I feel like the them helping out the dad with the, the baby and how that has resolution you've got you know the mum there happy at the end and the dad mm. being kind of like hey you know um that feels like almost like a standalone episode how was, how was that dad there for <laughs> <laughs> it became the fans for some reason um but I just love the facial expression <laughs> <laughs> that's just for your eyes only Hannah. um one of the perks of being married <laughs> um but 
do you know what I mean? It feels like a standalone thing. It's got a conclusion at yeah. the end of the episode. So it feels like that in their own way, that's an exploration of what that's the type of story where so if this did become the new normal for the show, you could imagine them doing episodes where they, you know, help people on the lower decks cope yeah. with their problems, you know, whilst still trying to keep the facade that they're working for this hood. It's you know, and, and I think that, that that was just something that occurred to me at this point in the episode. Mm. Um so he talks about um, Mac talks to um, really nicely acted scene actually of him and Yo-Yo where he talks mm. about hope in the framework and this is harder and basically he says that he feels guilty about feeling more pain about losing the fake daughter mm. than than the real daughter um, and but then we we see uh, the, the grills basically come in and be like hey you know good job and all this kind of stuff um, and then we get and the shits all over the motivational speech <laughs> yeah yeah but getting... it's kind of bullshit anyway because he is only saying that because he he's thinks that paid. Mac yeah. well no he's only saying that because he thinks that Mac roughed him up yeah uh, but Mac and Yo Yo know that he didn't so he doesn't really have much gravitas I no think. no but he's feeling bad because. He punched the guy yeah, yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. 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 Um, so we see um, Cyrus sort of unveil Quake and then Fitz does. It, that reminds me a lot of um, Princess Leia in Return of the Jedi, you know, when she's dressed as the bounty hunter with Chewbacca mm. and, and, she, and then she pulls the mask off and it's revealed. Yeah. It feels very riffing of that. So, And then, but, and then we see Fitz say that. Um, she should fight what to the death because she's dangerous. And it's like, what, what, what? And the episode ends. So uh, any final thoughts, Hannah, before we wrap things up and go to bed? <laughs> I thought it was a supremely solid episode, plenty of action. I'm really looking forward to the next one because I know that that is... It's a very fun one. Well, it's a look back into what happened to Fitz. Yeah, it's the... Um, they always, like, in the last few seasons, they've, they've always done an episode about four or five in where they kind of step away and yeah. do, and have like a side quest kind of episode. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, this episode is one of those where it's a sorbet episode, if you will, in some ways. Mm. Um, so um, quick reminder that we very much appreciate emails at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com as we also appreciate interactions on our social media, namely Instagram and Twitter at rewatchproj. That's rewatchproj. Please check out all of our, our friends' shows. And if you listen to us on YouTube, then please uh, do like and subscribe and leave comments. Also check out the Pod Syndicate YouTube channel as well. And Apple Podcasts and Spotify reviews also very much appreciated. So what are we talking about next time, Anna? Uh, next time we are talking about Rewind. Rewind. The Grosso Bow Selector? That's the one. Yes. Synopsis says, with the help of Lance Hunter, nothing will stop Fitz from finding his lost team as his secret journey is revealed. Excellent. Looking forward to it. It is directed by Jesse Bochco. Oh, very solid. And it's written by the Titster. Hey. Craig Titley. Craig Titley. Cool. Okay, well, that's us for now, guys, and we will see you soon for that. Bye-bye. Take care.